Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Roy Sloan is the general manager of the Fjordland Wapiti Foundation. Yes, you heard me say that correctly. Wapiti in New Zealand is called Wapiti. And they have an elk herd that is now a hybrid herd between elk, deer, elk and red deer. And that was gifted to them. 18 elk were gifted to them by uh, Theodore Roosevelt in 1905. And that started this herd deep in South New Zealand. Like, you can't get any further south in New Zealand. Well, the Fjordland Wapiti Foundation has done a yeoman's job of preserving the environment, the New Zealand ecological habitat for its native fauna and flora, and really managing the deer herd for quality as well as very much more importantly the quantity of deer on the landscape and its impact on the environment and that's how they've kept essentially the government out of their business and is really a conservation success story that the world really does not know about and so we're interested in telling that story and the first step is for you to listen to roy so enjoy So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is. <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. What's what's the weather like in uh what's the typical greeting cure, right? 
Kia yes. <laughs> and it's absolutely. Um, what's the weather like? So I was born in Southland, and um, in Southland, we have a bit of a joke. One of our first sentences we always taught is that the weather's fine in Southland, the wettest part of the country. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we always say it's fine here, even though it's raining. It's raining right now. <laughs> it's just stopped, yeah. So, well, it's pretty good. It's um, middle of summer, and um, we've been getting 25 to 30 degree temperatures, which is, um, which is good, but for us Southlanders, we like a cold night. Horrible when you can't sleep at night. It's got to be, got to be down to six degrees or four degrees or something like that. Hits us. Your houses are they? They don't have central air or central heat, right, Roy? No, they don't. So, um, don't really need it down here. So we have um, we have heating room for the winters and. Um, during the summer, you just open up the doors and windows and cross your fingers that it's not going to get too hot. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like <laughs> South Africa, in which I remember going to bed in South Africa and having like, you know, five or six blankets on the bed and having to go to school. You'd have a little blow heat and you'd, you'd heat up each sock and put each sock <laughs> on, you know. Um, yeah, yeah it's, um, you get used to it. And it's amazing. Uh, I don't know for you. Been living in the area too long, but uh, really looked forward to a cold, wet day when put the fire on and to put, keep putting the wood in the burner. It's um, yeah, it's comforting. And uh, but yet, yeah, you know, you look at the area where I uh, work in Fiordland, you know, we're eight meters of rain. So you get bits. What did you just say? Eight you meters. Just, did you just say eight meters of rain? Eight meters of rain. All right. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to convert that to inches because it's like... 33 inches to a meter. All right, so... 264 inches of rain. Yep. Yep. Yep, so, yeah. Is it... Like, I'm flabbergasted. It's almost like, do. I don't know, I'd have to Google also, like, how many inches of rain does a topical rainforest typically get? Yeah, I'm not sure, but this is a. a this I'm going to Google it quickly. <laughs> yeah, it's not warm rain either. And then yeah, you got the snow and everything else that happens. So I think on average it rains every three days. Eighty to four hundred inches in a tropical rainforest. Right. Yep. And in Fort Fiordland, New Zealand, two hundred and sixty-four inches. Yep. Is I'm assuming to hunt in a place like that must be like walking through a jungle. Yeah, so we, we, it's funny because Fjordland, you know, we're, we're from um, sea level to about five, five and a half thousand feet in height. And um, it's just basically, uh, it's a great big rock with a, a few inches of um, foliage over it. So we call it the... Amazon on top of the Himalayas, so it's gone right there. That uh, you know, we we have rivers that can raise rise meters overnight, and then the next day to back to normal again. It's just um, it's built for weather, built for rain. You just said something that I want to take a note on. Um, the Amazon on top of the Himalayas. Yeah. 
I think that's what we should title this episode. People are going to be like, what the hell are you guys about to talk about? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that might have been, that might have been written by me, but um, it explains place. So. Hey, I would claim it. I would <laughs> claim it. Yeah. Roy Sloan, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast, my friend. Yes. Good to be here. Um, you know, we're always interested in talking to different people, diversity of people all around the world, and there's, uh, there's hunting happening everywhere around the world, and the more our community sort of engages different circles, the more people are enlightened to different things happening around the world, and I think that a lot of people would be surprised at the fact that there is a very good quality elk herd in New Zealand, correct or not correct? Yeah, so, um, you know, they've been here 100 years now, or over 100 years, um, and we have, a, we have another species that's in the area called breed deer, and, of course, they, they, they hybridise. So pretty much the air species in, in field, and we call them field and wapiti, because they've actually the crossbreed over the years with breed deer, but... Um, Certainly, um, you know, there's some reasonable trophies coming out of there now. We manage them. But, um, yeah, it's an adventure with it too. So it's a, it's a package deal. Is it Wapiti or Wapiti, Roy? Yeah, well, it comes from, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Wapiti in Southland. <laughs> it's Wapiti. <laughs> yeah, that's where. <laughs> yep. Yep. Correct. What is where, when you say Southland, uh, Roy? Give us a little bit of description, geography-wise. Like, what is Southland? Where is Southland? Yeah, so you got New Zealand, and and most people know Auckland in New Zealand, um, being at the top of the North Island. We're right down the bottom, um, and Southland kind of borders Fiordland. And if you walk off the edge of Fiordland, you're in the Tasman Sea, so, and um, you can't get much further south. Something we're proud of. It is the south tip of the South Island. Yep. 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 And give us the history of how did elk actually get to to New Zealand a hundred years ago? Yeah. So they were released in uh, New Zealand in um, uh, 1905. Sorry. <laughs> and, yeah. and ironically, they uh, back then, you know, our forefathers, um, if, you, if you're a hunter, gave us a gift. If you're, um, if you're really a non-hunter, probably wasn't such a gift. But, um, yeah, there was around about 18 edibles given to the New Zealand people by uh, then the President of the United States, Theodore Roosevelt. And they, they originated from Yellowstone Park, ironically. Wow. Um, you know, and they were chucked on a ship, shipped to New Zealand, um, and they were released in a place called George Sound in um, Fiordland. And I, was, I can't imagine being grabbed from Yellowstone, chucked on a ship, and then thrown onto land where there's eight metres of rain. That must have been, I'm not too sure that... The rainfall is in um, Yellowstone, but it must have been quite frightful for them. And 
yeah, it's, back then, you know, we, we're in a different world. We had all sorts of species sitting here, country, um, red deer already here. I think um, at about the same time, we had um, white tub, um, Virginian, we, there we caught it, New Zealand, released in two places in New Zealand. And then just a little bit later, um, just around the corner from the Wapiti, we had moose released. And um, wow. yeah, they, they struggled for survival for all their life and to the point where um, there hasn't been a moose sighted since around about 1970. Uh, there's, still, there's still moose, we believe, in there. There's, um, it's, it's a vast, vast area. And I've heard Has Park anyone is, seen any moose sign at all lately? Yes. So there's been here picked off, here fireball was picked off trees and there's been DNA. Unbelievable. So... Yeah, it's just vast bush it's country. It's like Bigfoot, man. Imagine coming across a moose in New Zealand. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> There's always a bit, of a bit of a conversation that always happens is that what would you do? Would you, you shoot at the proof there's one there? Would you? You could be the devil if you did. So, um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's quite a, quite a lot of um, people who actually still chase them just to find it and prove that they're there. You know, there's, there's, still, there's still sign to them. Um their browsing was completely different than anything else we have in New Zealand, and certainly their the spoil their, their footmarks and that are completely different as well. So something's doing that in there. It's not loose. It's uh, yeah, something else. <laughs> so yeah. Do so you have we do, do we have historical records of how many elk got put on the ship and how many elk made it? You said eighty made it. Eighty got released. Eighteen. Eighteen. So, uh, oh, 18 got released, not yeah. 18. Yeah, yeah, 18. Um, I think most of them made it, to be fair. It's, it's pretty, um, the records are a little bit um, hazy. Um, there might have been one or two who didn't make it, but um, yeah, I think there was a, the gift was a half that amount, and uh, New Zealand being called the Globalisation Society um, got another. Eight or uh, ten from somewhere else. So yeah, they were released as the corporate. Do we know? Did do we have any records or transcripts of like why TR decided to gift these eight elk? Was it political? Was it like almost a little altruistic to say I want to hunt elk somewhere else in the world, and so I'm going to give <laughs> New Zealand eight, you know, eighteen elk? Do we do we have any record of like the why? Yeah, the, the, I'm pretty sure I ate, and myself not being an historic type person, uh, um, it was a bit of a swap, I believe. So, um, you know, around, and native birds were gone around the world and, and other species as well. So um, I believe it was a bit of it was a gift, but at the time there was some other stuff crossing the ocean in terms of native birds, I believe. So today, uh, you are the executive director of the Fjordland Wapiti Foundation, and why why does why do you even need a foundation for this species, um, Roy? It's it's almost like shouldn't we just shouldn't they just be there kind of scenario? And just like every other species in New Zealand, you've got red deer, you've got tar, you've you've already said you've got whitetail, you've got chamois. You got psychedelia. You've got. I don't know if you have sambar. Do you have sambar on yep, New Zealand? Yep, we have sambar. Yep. 
Yeah, Sambo, yep. you have a bunch of other deer that just hang out and procreate and people hunt them. Why the, the need for a, a specialized foundation around these guys down south? Yeah, so, so what we have, and, and I guess to explain that, we need to talk about the whole deer picture in New Zealand. So eh, eh. one thing we, we have in New Zealand is that, you know, we talk about deer management around the world. It, and most people are managing deer as a native species. Right. So um, in New Zealand, we manage them as an introduced species. And, mm. and, you know, we only have one mammal, native mammal in New Zealand, and that's a bank, mm. which is about the size of a, a golf ball, or half the size of a golf ball, it's a wee thing. And the rest of the species are birds. And, um, you know, historically we had large uh, bush country and, and high tops with open country that these birds basically lived in. We, we also um, introduced these deer who, like, I mean, like too many people. There's too many people in one place. They, they cause um, damage and, and um, damage our native bush and damage and tussle country and stuff like that. Right, so, right. So our deer need to be managed to a, to a level where um, our native bush or our tussock land can, um, I guess, survive. And, you know, that we don't have any natural predators in New Zealand other than humans on deer. So the deer absolutely left alone just explode in numbers. And, and then we have the Wapiti in Fjordland. So Fjordland, um, 1.2 million hectares um, of national park, and it's a World Heritage Park as well. So we just talk about the Wapiti and managing Wapiti numbers. You know, as, as a, a foundation, if we weren't here, those deer would be left to be managed by, um, I guess, non-hunters. And with nine hunters managing deer, I guess their objectives and outcomes are completely different than hunters. Um, you know, we have legislation and law that says that um, as far as possible, our introduced species, as in deer, shabby, and et cetera, et cetera, should be exterminated. But the reality is, is that, you know, they can't be exterminated. They right. live here in vast bush country, vast environments that um, the only way for them, for a future for them in New Zealand is them to be managed. So, so here we are, we've got the Wapi Foundation, who was the first foundation to be set up in New Zealand to manage a species um, of introduced species. So, Fjorda National Park, um, you know, it talked about, um, it's a World Heritage Park. It's, okay. it's a number one, number one bit of conservation land in New Zealand. It's the crown jewels, really. So if we didn't manage them or we didn't set up a foundation who, who goals were to enhance or, and protect the, the Wapani, there would be this wide-scale indiscriminate killing. Um, they'd be shooting as many as they can, where they can, just to reduce the numbers right down to um, a level where... Um, Wapi would not survive. 
Would this be both government and recreational or, or, or mainly government? It would be mainly government and um, I guess the non-hunting organisations I'm talking about, people who don't believe there should be introduced species in New Zealand. Um, and that could be done in a variety of ways. It could be done with um, helicopters, which is, tends mm -hmm. to be the, the tool for the job, or it could be done using a wide-scale poisoning. Um, but the reality is, is that the only way to manage deer in New Zealand it is actually to manage them. So manage their numbers. And by managing numbers, you manage their quantities, which actually um, it has an interest from hunters to hunt them, which brings money into the game. And, you know, if you look at the Federal Wapiti Foundation, we basically set ourselves up not only to manage the deer as a species, but actually to manage them um, for environmental impacts as well. So if we were to manage them for environmental impacts, so we actually did the killing of the deer if the population got too high or the quantity got too low. Right. In effect, we're actually managing the quantity of the deer and also mm -hmm. the environment they live in. So it's a whip for, you know, if we look at where these wapiti are, the fjordans, it's not big pastoral lands. It's um, low-quality alpine and bush country where we need the deer to be at a low density because so there's enough food in there to grow those big whoppity heads, antlers that yep, yep. we like. But also, it actually adds value to conservation as well. So, it, it, you know, we need the tussock lands um, producing good, healthy tussock. We need the forest to be producing good, healthy forests and so on and so on, right down to the herbs. And, and you know... I think, um, and you and you're so what you're saying is you need browsers. You need some sort of browsing and grazing yep. in there, right? Historically, we had a, a thing, a bird called a mullet, which was the biggest, biggest bird on earth at the time. You know, we got mowers who they were like a big ostrich, a big ostrich. Yep. They were the weight of a deer. You know, these things mm. were uh, several hundred kilos. And so they were a browsing species as well. So. You know, the foundations were set up to, to solely focus on an individual herd or an individual area. And if we didn't, and money's pretty tough to, in New Zealand to get to manage deer. Um, so foundations sole focusing upon those singular outcomes or from these herds, it is the way forward. You know, they, they're not fighting a political battle for red deer, for tail, for everything else. Mm -hmm. But the success actually adds adds to that as well. So we looked upon as probably the number one um, of the lead organisation in New Zealand to be managing deer is the Wapi Foundation, and everybody so else. So Roy, is... would it... and I totally agree with you. I think that's what I've heard come out of New Zealand too. I think you guys are doing an amazing job, um, and you've been in it. For, you've been in the game for a long time. Does the formation of the foundation and the and the sort of the, the the reach that you have sort of over the fjordlands does that do you think that that is saying that's saying to the government we've taken care of it we're taking care of densities of deer we are managing it you don't have to come in and take and do your culling through aerial and poisoning means 
Yeah, hundred percent. Um, so to to the point where now you know if you look at we've been going almost twenty years, and in the twenty years we've been undertaking deer management in the Wapiti area at, at a um, higher quality level than the Department of Conservation, who is the government in New Zealand, have undertaken anywhere else in the country. So we've not only um, lead in that space, now we actually um, were a part of the we're, we're a part of the white chat. So when there's their issues around New Zealand and, and currently there's a bit of money there to deal with their issues, we're actually brought around the table for, for advice. Um, so we're actually looked upon um, as a group who are, um, are actually managing an area and, and actually achieving what they set out to do. So nationally, yes, um, and I think we've got an election coming up next year in New Zealand, and already um, I think I've had half a dozen politicians from other parties come to us and, and want to see how we've achieved what we've achieved and how can you know things change from the political aspect to help us and aid us because we're actually seeing, you know, this is probably the future of managing deer in New Zealand is what the Fuel and Wapi Foundation are doing. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I know Cam Speedy with the Seeker Foundation is yep. probably emulating what you guys are doing. Um, you know, we have the Tar Foundation set up to think about the same things. Um, yeah, I think people are getting more and more astute to the blending and let me let me see what your reaction to this is. The blending of recreational hunting and management hunting. Yeah, um, yeah. So I know it's spoken to Cam, but um, I guess we've been we've been preaching that for twenty years. So yep. um, and what's hopefully is happening in New Zealand at the moment is is people are people are starting to catch on with that that. That is only the only way forward for us as a hunting um, body of people in New Zealand going forward is that blending. And also, that blending must involve conservation for our native species and native forest as well. So it's a kind of hybrid, a hybrid um, outlook for the future deer. So talk to me about that, that added element of conservation, because I know that that's a major component of what you guys are doing. A lot of people in New Zealand are doing. People would hear the Fiordland Wapiti Foundation. You're managing deer. You've got a draw system, a ballot system for people to go in. There's age restrictions on antlers. It's very much like an American hunting system, draw system setup. But you've added an, an, an additional element to you, which is almost stewardship, right? Stewardship yep. of the land, stewardship of yep. the people, stewardship of the forest. Tell me about that. Yeah, so, so we've kind of reversed the whole um, outlook on what we do it from their perspective. So, so what we do was we you know we talk about you guys talk about game management over there. We actually talk about um, environmental management. Same thing said differently, but it captures the imagination of Kiwis more, New Zealanders more. So, so what we do is, is we look at, right, we're managing deer in fjordals, but our number one objective is to protect the environment. 
So, so that's kind of what we're doing. If, if, I mean, you know, you would have heard this a million times in your lifetime around, you know, if the, if the environment in the mountain fails, it will take generations for it to revive. But if a herd deer uh, failing, you can actually, it only takes several years to bring it back to, you know, mm. trophy potential, whatever that might be. So yeah. we actually take that seriously, and that's what we live by. So our, our number one objective is to manage the environment and the impacts that deer have on the environment. By doing that, we're actually providing um, a, we've provided food and quality food to grow a, a high-quality herd of trophy deer because they need that as well. And, and the spin-off is, is that um, is hunters uh, um, hunters are paid to hunt the area, and all that money back goes into conservation to help us with that number one objective, protect the environment. But by doing that, the Wapiti herd has has never looked so good in in probably fifty years. Um, their bulls are, are getting more tucker, growing bigger antlers, everywhere antlers, and also we also undertake other conservation projects in there. Like we talk about their deer management is a conservation project in itself. Sure, sure. Um, but we also have um, predator lines where we protect their native species in terms of, you know, we have blue ducks. who are a unique blue duck that live in their fast flight waters. We have all sorts of other species that here, kiwi, that we're actually put a lot of time and effort into. So we're kind of offering the country a package deal. And in that package deal, hunters get to hunt a healthy quality herd of deer. And that's the future in New Zealand. That's probably the only way forward. And now I've talked about a hybrid of, of controlled deer numbers and trophies and conservation. That's the hybrid. Tell, tell people who may not be familiar with it, what are these predator lines that, that you refer to? Yeah, so we have these, we have these little cold clings in New Zealand, which are introduced as well. <laughs> like all of us in New Zealand, even us humans, um, they're called stoats. They're, also, you know, they're, they're a bit like a, a stoper, and then there's a ferret, and it, you know, they're kind of those muscular, mm-hmm. well, those. Is it bigger than muscular. a weasel? Yep, yeah, we also have weasels. So the weasels are smallest, stoats a little bit bigger, and then the ferret a little bit bigger again. And okay. Incredible little things. They're just killing machines. And, um, you know, if you could, yeah, and they did not have guns because men are good at it. <laughs> and, um, you know, we see them from sea level to snow level at 5,000 feet. These things are incredible. Um, they have a mechanism that allow them to, um, to breed when, um, there's a lot of food around to have extra litters, more kittens, and that's the litter, the young. So they, they kind of adapt to the environment over here. It, it, the only really thing for them to eat are, are rats. So when rat population gets lowly, they start hobbling into or eating our native birds. And man, they, they have probably, they're a number one threat to our native birds in New Zealand, us stones. Yeah. And we've found ways to suppress their numbers but we haven't found ways to wipe them out. Um, so what we do in Fjordland and all around New Zealand is that 
the probably number one way to to suppress the stoke numbers is we have these boxes which actually have um this traps in them they're the traps basically uh like a small bear trap i guess or whatever you know you guys would have them we use them from um they we have to check them once a month um they we have them on about 100 100 um meter spacings and um we put put bait in them and uh, basically try and catch um stokes and rats rats is another what kind of bait are you using roy yeah we they're amazing big little critters because if you if you have a crack at them and you miss them or scare them you never get enough go at them so we're always adapting so at the moment we have eaten a hen's egg in there because they love eggs and we have a bit of bit of rabbit meat or uh um or something like so that and we try the all sorts it's amazing what people do to try and catch stokes you know there's there's people people just live it you know they tie a rabbit to a string and they're tied to their bout while they're walking around the traps and they're dragging this rabbit behind it and you know you got stokes hopefully follow the scent and you know it's just yeah yep. you know, it's no different than trapping anything else so we have them in Fjordan with the help to protect our, our um, native species. And it's a, a big effort to do them. You know, we have them in five river catchments. And um, we've, got to, we've got to fly to the head of them. And then it takes a person about 12 hours to walk each line. So we, we do that each month. Also, we have other projects where we work with like-minded conservation groups with their name Tier, which is Alpine Para. Uh, so we invest a lot of energy in the conservation, and um, it, and I guess that's part of it. That's the part of the survival to be in this space in New Zealand. Yeah. Do you guys have down there? You have rats and weasels, and do you have any feral cats down there? Yeah, we're not so bad, but we are fielded. But we have feral cats. I heard a I heard a number, that, and this is not exact numbers, but I heard a number that. You know, there's, there's about 10 million pet cats in New Zealand. There's about 7 million feral cats in New Zealand. And uh, these, these things are just adapted. Hunters, they're just incredible. And they seem to be getting bigger generation to generation. We have Stuart Island, which is a, a small island with, with white tail. I'd, and I hunt that a lot. And, and um, gee, the cats over there. You see a, a native kiwi, you see a dead cat track behind it, tracking it. And, um, yeah, they're just, they're just sort of stuff. And that's it's a, amazing. That's a political I've, battle. I've seen, yeah, yeah, it, it is a super political battle, right? You think that wolves are a controversial issue or feral horses here in the United States. Just get the cat ladies involved. Oh, uh, for, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, look, and you know, if you look at New Zealand, you know, we're five million people, and we're probably three quarters of them are urban people. And, and you know, you have all those urban people who uh, have a pet, pet kitty and try to tell them that they've got to go. Man, I would like to fight that battle. Roy, what is the challenge? What, you know, how long have you been the executive director of the Fjordland Wapiti Foundation? Yeah, interesting development is, is that, you know, we look at New Zealand and, and um, most stuff's done with the smell of the morning rag, which is um, 
kind of a saying that we hear where it's done for free and, and, and you know, just get the job done. So I've, I've um, been part of the Wapley Foundation and kind of helped initiate this uh, latest um, program with, um, you know, with the Wapley management strategy that we have right now. So I kind of got that going. Well, yeah, I was one of the ones that got that going. Then I put... How long, I, do you, put, how long have you been involved in the forging? 20 years. Maybe that's a better years. question to start with. Yep. So 20, 20 years. years. So, yeah, so I've been a volunteer of, of probably average 30 to 40 years a week on, as a volunteer on the Field of Wapiti Foundation for 20-odd years. Wow. Yep. So I kind of... I kind of come for a full circle and the, the foundation's in a good place and and um, being a Kiwi, I love rugby and um, I've played rugby most of my young adult life um, and wrecked my body doing it so I kind of got away from it just then and at that stage got tangled up in the Wapley Foundation and I always wanted to get back to coach rugby and anyway. This year I got back coaching rugby and and um, thought actually I love this. I think I've done my work for the for the Wapi Foundation and I also involved nationally being on the annual well the annual the Game Animal Council uh, and Great. various other bits and pieces over the years for that battle. So I I said to the team that I think we're in such a good space. You need to go out employ somebody what's happening in new zealand and, and i guess it's probably potentially worldwide is that you know in new zealand a lot of things are run by volunteers but something's happening in that volunteer space where people seem to be tied poor parents are mm-hmm. working more to make a living for their families and getting less time to be with their families so now boy volunteer groups in new zealand struggling it and you know Hence, we have the Wapi Foundation who have a unique, um, a unique job to do in the bottom end of New Zealand, away from the main, uh, um, well, this is the lucky thing, away from the big population of the country. Um, right. You know, in, in Southland, there's about 150,000 people, and we're probably one of the biggest provinces in the country, or it's, in terms of size. So drawing old people to be involved with us because we need hands-on people. Um, you know, plenty of people want to be involved who could turn up to a Zoom meeting and stuff like that, but we need hands-on. So we, we um, got ourselves in a good situation where we've taken the risk in employing a, a general manager. No one teaches on earth that that general manager was ever going to be me. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm a very passionate guy. Um, a very, a very productive guy, um, a very active mind. <laughs> I think the, I scare the, I scare the team sometimes when I come up. But um, so I, I thought it was time for me to stand down. And what happened over that that period of probably six months when I'd made that decision, um, and said to the team, "This is what you need to do." It was quite. I had time to reflect. Really, uh, why coach rugby? Um, and over that time, like I, I thought, actually, I still like this. I, I have some, 
perhaps some value to add. Um, if I look mm -hmm. back at all the stuff I wanted to do in the last 20 years, there's probably a, a, um, a glass full of stuff that I was enabled to do, but I got probably a, a bloody, a huge load of stuff that I couldn't do due to time or financial or bits and pieces. So, um, yep. so like the guys, um, pestered me to, to see if I would, um, be interested in the role and, and I kind of initially fought that. But then at that period of time when I was off, off coaching rugby, I had time to reflect and yep, I'm still there, love the job, have some stuff that I want to do and need to do. So I'm back as junior manager of the Walker Foundation. Roy, what is, um, if you look forward into 2023, into 2024, what do you see as your greatest challenges when it comes to fulfilling the mission that you, you guys really want to do? Yeah, so, so where challenge has changed is the same as it was 20 years ago. So our initial, their objective, we must control the numbers and fuel loads. We haven't got a, we haven't got a, um, I guess, a population of people who fully understand um, the benefits of having a, a deer in fuel and really else. We we argue against a, um, a group of um, conservationists who have budgets of tens, ten to twelve million dollars just to fight a political battle in the media. We again we have tens of thousands of dollars. Um, so, to, to that's where our challenge is is to actually uh, continue doing their work. But actually, have good stories to tell. So, you know, yep. we at Fjordan have a good story to tell because we're backed by science. So when you can, when you can stand on your high, on your pedestal and say that actually this is what we're doing in Fjordan. Science says that what we're doing in Fjordan is is good. And we have a story to tell that actually nobody can dispute. It. We've got to have more stories like that in New Zealand. So one of the things that, that uh, one of my personal um, detectives who I talked before about um, urban New Zealand, and urban New Zealand is getting bigger. People are leaving the country and living in the cities. Um, I don't know why, but they seem to be doing that. And we, our challenge is to educate those people. So... A part of our deer management and fuel of it is that um, we, we, we remove around about 1,200 wapiti crossbreeds a year or red deer a year out of the wapiti area. That venison, we, um, we used to export it overseas and, and it was kind of a self-perpetuating market where that come back and paid for our management. So during right. COVID, all that crashed. Uh, export markets crashed. And, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of people around New Zealand who were living in fear because they had been in markets crash and their deer populations start to increase. But funny enough, it, and I guess this is the, the Wapni Foundation, this is why we've been uh, quite successful. We saw some opportunity and personally got quite excited about we've lost our overseas venison markets. So it was, 
here's an opportunity for us to sell our business in, internally in New Zealand, not only internally in New Zealand. We want it to go into Auckland and Wellington and all our big cities. We want it to go into these big cities with our story as a, and I guess as a vehicle to be able to tell our story that's um, what we're doing in fuel and, you know, around conservation, around um, deer management, around, um, I guess, um, mental health and everything else, because, you know, that's a story behind our hunting as well. We, we talk about all sorts of other things that are going on around the world. You know, hunting is, is a hell of a healthy sport, so that must be told as well. So here is the foundation, our, our goal in, in the short term is to um, use that vehicle to tell that story internally. And, and of course, here we're talking to you. So, you know, any Didn't you guys give a, 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 an amazing amount of venison away too, to people who needed it? Yeah. So, again, we've talked about opportunity and, and you know, we, we looked at COVID. So, um, you know, during COVID, all of a sudden we had people who couldn't work and bits and pieces. And, you know, New Zealand as a country just, just astounds me. You know, we have 5 million people. We are, I wouldn't say with, Hugely, we're, we're a well-off country. We have huge access to protein in New Zealand, but we still have starving families around New Zealand, you know, for various reasons, and, and we have these places yeah. called food banks who give food away to these families. So we kind of got together and, and thought, actually, our market, export market for our venison had collapsed. So could we come up with a, um, a way to bring that venison out? And we're just making the basic, um, we call it mitts, mitts up, you know, very good mitts, I think. Um, and so we, we've done that and we actually gifted it to, to all the um, food banks around New Zealand who wanted it. And yeah. we, we gave them tons of it. And um, yeah, it was rewarding, but I'll tell you what, it was humbling. It, it, the stories we got back from it um, made me... Make me ashamed to be human, actually, at times. You know, um, here we have the resources that we can help these people with, and it's just so hard to do it. We make it hard, we'd set it easy. So we gave that, uh, that venison, Wapiti venison, which is, um, I believe, the best venison you can get is Wapiti venison, um, to food banks around New Zealand. Unbelievable. It's an unbelievable story, and it, it happens everywhere in the world. Um... We're just terrible at telling our own story, Roy. Oh, We're terrible at it. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, well, I'm glad you said what you said because we're going to help. Blood Origins wants to help and the people that support us want to help. And so we're going to come and we're going to tell a part of the story. Number one, has to, and we're gonna we're gonna put it on the biggest stage we possibly can. The other thing we need to do is we just need to rent a theater in Auckland once the once the once we whatever we build and just invite a bunch of people in Auckland to see the great work that you do. Number yeah. one, number two, and then number 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 two and three or whatever it is. Um, you sent me a budget on some things that you needed funding for this year, right? Yes. Yes. We're gonna take we're gonna take care of some of it. Um, I've run the numbers and uh, we're looking forward to helping you. Oh, so, 
Yeah, I mean, that's financially, that's our biggest, I guess we've talked about employing a junior manager, and that's a, a big jump that we've made um, as, a, as a group. So, you know, we've got other organisations in New Zealand who um, who have employees. I think, I think there's, I can count on one hand how many employees are in the hunting sector in New Zealand, but we're a little bit unique than other groups. We've, we've self-funded, so yep. we have had government money or anything like that so so we scrap for every every dollar we get we're very resourceful so absolutely that's bloody that's hard with it yeah we're excited um and obviously we'll be in new zealand uh at the end of april cool. so hopefully we get to shake our hand and maybe share a helicopter ride and do some cool stuff absolutely i mean um yeah absolutely so that yeah we're available and the Wapi foundation has got this new bloody new shiny ass buddy manager there now so um he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's got to be doing something <laughs> yeah, yeah. we've got to get him we've got to keep him busy somehow yeah, right yeah absolutely no brilliant roy sloan it it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you a little bit more and, and getting to know the great work that you guys are doing and i can't wait to showcase your efforts um across you know our platforms and really think hard with you about how we can tell your story in, in in a much larger way uh, because you guys are doing amazing work yeah and so you know you sit down there uh, i talked to groups and they said oh tell us your story two years later we're sitting there you hardly just touch on it so it's 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 condensing things out how the people best understand what's going on and and, and that's i guess that's the skill of telling it isn't it exactly exactly but roy it's been a pleasure thank you my man Brilliant. Enjoy. Well, that's it for today. Appreciate you listening. As always, leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.